1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Moore is James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die. My name's Bob. James Bond. Names is for tombstones, baby. Waste him now. James Bond is back, and wherever he drops in, it can mean only one thing. Trouble! This is the Bond adventure with more excitement, more action more danger, and more. Much more. Roger Moore as James Bond, 007. Oh, 007 is on a worldwide manhunt. The body count is going up. Bond stops to visit. He leaves his mark on everything. They'll kill you. They will kill us. That was lesson number two. Togetherness. Is that time before we leave for lesson number three? Absolutely. Because Bond is on the move. And if you miss this one, you'll miss the most exciting 007 adventure of them all.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? It's another James Bond week, which means it's another visit from Dave Pascarella and Chris Tyler. How you boys doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm doing well. I hope everybody else is too. Yeah, everybody's everybody's doing good here, and we have now com- entered the Roger Moore era. Whoa! Wow! Yeah, I can't believe we're here already. So this was one of this was one of the first movies that I ever went to see with just my friends. Nice. So because of that, we went to see it twice. <laughs> I was totally enamored with this movie when we saw it. I was whatever. What what year is this? Seventy three. Two or seventy three. Yeah, yeah, I think it's seventy three. So I was I like ele- I was like eleven years old when this came out, and just thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, I had a little familiarity with James Bond from having seen Diamonds Are Forever and mm-hmm. You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. And I remember going to the King's Plaza Movie Theater in Brooklyn. Oh, boy. And seeing this with my buddies. <laughs> so uh, I, I am once again confident that you guys do not have a similar experience. No, unfortunately. How were you introduced to this movie? Cable. <laughs> C- cable with commercials or commercial free? Cable with commercials. Bond Marathon on, uh, was it TBS that used to do it? Yes. Or TNT. Yeah, I think it was TBS that did it, but Turner owned both of them, so it could have been either one. Uh, for me, it was probably the movie of the week on ABC or something like that. Sunday there's, night movie. There's something to be said for experiencing the movies that way. You know, it, it's it's a bygone era, but back when that used to be the way we, you know, you'd first get to see a movie if if you're going to the pre uh, VHS days, which you know pretty much is the 1970s uh, or, or the early 80s for that matter for most people uh, those movies were an event when they showed them on TV sure you looked forward to it yeah, so, I mean you were planted in front of the TV and you know you didn't have all these all the access to things and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say oh it was better then because we didn't have as much but it did make it feel more special hmm and, it, and yeah. you really, you know, you you would be riveted to the TV. It, it was, you know, back in those days, it was appointment television. Yeah, well, that's I mean, a, that's almost like where they would have. You remember the uh, what was it, the million dollar movie in the afternoon? Yes, on on Channel Nine. And they would do like Apes Week and to all the planet. No, that, of the that, Apes was, that was that was Godzilla. That was the four thirty movie on Channel Seven. <laughs> Yeah. So, Bond uh, weeks. They didn't. Nice. They didn't do a Bond week back then, though, because Bond movies were still prime time players. They weren't going for the uh, the movie, you know, the the week long marathons. Uh, this one in particular, you know, comes in 1973, so it's in the heart of the black exploitation era, uh, and it was clearly an attempt to play on that. Uh, so, you know, we, we were talking before we started recording, and certainly 
the stereotype shown in this movie could be perceived by some people as kind of offensive. And mm. I don't have a problem if anybody does find them offensive. Uh, I personally think you kind of have to take it as, uh, you know, a, a product of its time and, and not take it as a personal insult. But, you know, again, I'm not going to, I'm not bothered by anybody who says, no, this, this is offensive to me and I'm not going to watch it. That's fine. You know, hopefully they're not offended by the fact that I can watch it without it bothering me. Uh, I don't believe, <laughs> I don't believe in the stereotypes. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we, we, hopefully that's, that's all we have to say about that because some of the stereotypes, again, I can understand where people might find them offensive. And I just hope yeah. we can, we can look at this in the cartoon nature that it's presented and not look at it as a reflection on society so much. Well said. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, we have, uh, what do we have? Voodoo down in Jamaica. And we have. San Miguel. San Miguel. Oh, it's not Jamaica? Uh, they said it's, it's San Miguel, I guess. Wherever that is. It's like, it's a phone. It's, I think it's a phone. It's a phony place. It's not. It's gotta be. Or is it? Pretty sure. I have to tell you, you know, with the whole voodoo thing. And again, not not a not a uh, comment on the accuracy of its portrayal or whatever, but I love the character of Baron Samity. Oh, yeah. I think he is just so much fun with the laugh and everything. And you know, I always think of him as the guy who advertised okay. for Seven Up. Seven Up. San, yeah. San, Mon- Monique. San Monique. Yeah. I couldn't get past that because that's how I knew him. So every time he came out, I say to my wife, oh, look, it's the 7-Up guy. Colonut, uncolonut. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) He was was great. He was, you know, he was a part of my childhood. So I I always got a big kick at him. Now, he was apparently a a dancer. Yeah. uh, In real life. And, uh, you know, he, he choreographed a lot of the things in this movie as well as in other things. Uh, which I, I get a kick out of, and I just again I just thought his character was so much fun. The way oh. you know, basically he gets killed, he comes back. He gets killed, he comes back. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the henchmen in this are all around awesome. Well, who else do we have? We have uh, Tihi. Now Tihi, the only thing about Tihi, and it didn't bother me at all when I was 11 years old. But you look, you know, when you watch it now, the the the, the fake hand, the prosthetic hand, is so clearly fake. That he's clearly got a hand under there manipulating it. Well, how else were you supposed to do it in 1972? Well, that's the thing. Well, I I mean, you could have come up with a better prosthetic that would cover, you know, that would work its way further up his arm so that you wouldn't see the, you know, the the fact that this one, you know, that it ended at his wrist. I I think they play it off pretty well at the end of the movie when it gets ripped off. And then it's extended further. And I mean, it's like I said, at 11 years old, loved it. Uh, now, still love it, but it's a little yeah. campy when when you see the you know the, the the special effect doesn't really work. I have to be honest with you. I must have been maybe seven when I saw this, maybe a little younger. This was the James Bond movie I did not like because huh. when I was that young, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> it's awesome. even like I I had like the Mandela effect with this movie. Because when uh, in the opening scene, the third guy who's killed with the snake, yeah, mm-hmm. I had this memory that it 
you see it bite him on the face. <laughs> and then when you see it now, it's like, no, I built all that up in my head. And when you see the snake, that's also not really a great special effect. <laughs> He's clearly just holding a rubber snake. Well, you know. <laughs> well, there's there's a difference of what you're going to see as a kid than what you're going to see as an adult, I think. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, this one is... Um, ever since The first time I ever saw this one, this one has been in my, my tops list uh, for the Bond movies. I, I love the Roger Moore era. I love this one. I, this one, to me, has the best theme song, which is incorporated. Uh, pretty much tied for the best with me with Goldfinger. Best theme song worked into the orchestral score and the uh, diegetic music better than so, anything else. So is Goldfinger. <laughs> and this has the hottest Bond girl. Uh, for me. Jane Seymour's up there, unless you're talking about you Gloria see? Henry. No, Jane Seymour. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, that is so debatable. It is debatable. Uh, it's just so I mean, many. She, there was so she, many beautiful Bond girls that you know. She's a friggin' knockout in this one. I, I, I would one. put I would put her in the top three, without hesitation. I mean, All off right, the top of my head, enough. just just in the Roger Moore era, Barbara Bach in Spy Who Loved Me jumps out at me. Yeah. Eh. Eh. Now this this is Jane Seymour's first film, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. She's like 21, maybe 22. She's wicked young. Wow. And she she was, I mean, I, I haven't seen her in years, so I don't know what she currently looks like. She looked but pretty she, damn she good maintained, she, she she maintained looks- her beauty well past when most women, or yeah. most people, let's let's even not make it misogynist. Well, she, yeah. she, sta- she stayed beautiful way past when most people can. Without looking like she got... You know, a ton of work done too, which is impressive. Yeah. So, yeah. Smoke show. Mm. She was in something recently, and I can't remember what, but she looked very good. Yeah, she's, there is more. She's got to be around seventy now. Hot chicks, though. She's seventy nine. Is she seventy nine? Are you kidding? No, she can't be seventy. No, I said. Oh, I thought you were saying that. I was. I said she's got to be around seventy. She's uh, 69, exactly. Whoa. Dude. Dude, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, you know, we, we, we talked about the exploitation aspect of this, but this also had a, you know, there was a little bit of a furtherance where this did things that, that weren't done because Gloria Hendry, who I mentioned earlier, you know, there's some romance scenes w- with her and Roger Moore, which yeah. in 1973, you know, you didn't see interracial romance. No. Or at least you're not only, much. No, you're only a couple of years out from Kirk kissing Uhura at that point. And Kirk kissing Uhura had to be like while they were under mind control from somebody else. So, you know, yeah. it was still, still unacceptable to have it be like just a natural pairing. But yeah. you know, I think the fact that he's European, it it wasn't as big an issue. I, you know, hmm. I mean, I was a young kid when I saw this, but I don't remember it being an issue at all. No, it's and I, now it could have it could have been an issue that you know went over my head, but again, I don't recall anybody talking about it. I don't recall anybody saying anything. I, you know, I, there was no chatter about it that I heard at all. So, you know, this movie in its own way, I think, helped, 
you know, move along acceptance by people. So, yeah, or at least that's how I want to view it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's it's James Bond. James Bond. James Bond is going to get that carrot wet whenever he can. It don't matter. <laughs> All for the service of, well, of Queen and Country. I think. Uh, well, this movie was a grief for him. I think. I think of uh, this. This is really raunchy, but I think of the Jerky Boys you guys talking about you know messing around or whatever, and he says, "Really, you're going to do that?" He says, "Hey, what do I care? A hole's a hole as long as it's got heat." <laughs> It's it's incredibly raunchy, but I, I don't know why that, that line has stayed with me. Because it's funny. Yes. <laughs> oh, so, man. And James Bond, if it's got a pulse, James Bond is interested. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I, uh, and it, although, and although just... you know what, I, I shouldn't say that, because virtually every woman he's been with in every movie has been pretty much, can, can be described by somebody as beautiful. Yes. So, so it's, it's not, so not like... Bad. Hmm? That deleted scene with Rosa Clem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, depends on what you're looking for, Dave. <laughs> now, I'm sure she specializes in some certain things, you know. <laughs> if you're looking but, for a little uh, shoe yeah. relationship. What's So if you got a, a shoe relationship, a shoe fetish yeah. of some sort. That sort of thing. But I mean, okay, on top on top of the awesome henchmen and the beautiful women, this movie also has Yafet Kato as one of my favorite villains. He's he's awesome. He's he's well he's great in everything he's ever done too. Sometimes he's been in some crap, but he's always great. Uh the dual role of Kananga and Mr. Big and the first time you watch it, I had no clue. Me neither. Because but then when you see makeup, him take when you see him take the makeup off, it's like how could I not have seen that? Yes, but it's it, but it's a subtle. It's not too. it's not it's until funny. he takes it off that you realize it. But once he takes it off, it's yeah. like oh my god, how did I not notice that? Well, he's doing two totally different performances, too. I mean, he's doing straight up gangster, you know, Harlem yes. gangster for one, and then island diplomat, island diplomat for the other, and, and he pulls them both off brilliantly. I mean, just like the lines that he delivers as Mister Big. Did you mess with that? It's like, it, you buy it. You know, I bought it from, you know, I was probably way too young to have seen this when I, when I did watch it, too. But, you know, and again, I probably have blinders on, too, because I was young at the time. But it was just, I don't know, something about his performance. He's like, he's like a black Lex Luthor, and it. it's awesome. Yeah. His his plot in this is is great, great because it it's so different than what we've seen in other bond films. and it's real like you yeah. could conceive of that's probably the most one of the most conceivable plots they've had too i'm going to flood the drug market so bad it's going to push people out of business but it's also going to addict people to heroin and then i have the market cornered yep it's it's, it's, it's so simple and it's it's so not specter holding the world for ransom with a bomb you know right. it's different than what we've seen before which, it's a great change, a great change. Yes. Yeah, it's a little more down to earth, which is funny because the more the more series goes on, it gets some of them get a little more outlandish. But um, yeah, I mean that is a big part of it. And then Roger, and then we got we got to talk about it. I mean, it's a brand new Bond. So what no, was but, Roger but Moore? I feel bring? like Roger Moore picked it up with where Sean Connery dropped, left it 
in Diamonds Are Forever. Because yeah. I mentioned this when we did Diamonds Are Forever that, you know, things got a little bit more lighthearted. There, there was, you know, not the same gravitas to the uh, performance because it was meant to be a, just a little bit more tongue in cheek. And Roger yeah. Moore picked that up throughout his run as Bond where for the most part he was more tongue in cheek as he went yeah, along. Yeah, but he could, he could turn on the viciousness when he need, needed to, which is what I like about him. But I mean, the, his Bond, like, he's not in the tux in this movie. I don't think he's ever in a tux, even if it's an off-color tux. He doesn't get the vodka martini. He gets a, a bourbon. You know, he and smokes he a cigar. Smokes a cigar, yeah. which yeah, I yeah. love him smoking the cigar. Lo- love it. It's it's it, instantly what they did was they tried to make him about as different as possible from Connery's, which you know was a great idea. It's you know, I, and it's yet, something. but and yet I thought I still think he picked up the threads of the Connery performance in yes. Diamonds Are Forever. So I, I think he did enough that was similar to Connery and enough that was different to, to make this yeah. his own in its own way. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I think he, 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 he stepped right into it. You know, he, he hit the ground running. Oh, and this is the first movie we get without him wearing a hat in the opening. Yeah. It's just a small man with a, with a hat. <laughs> Lost a fight to a chicken. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love Roger Moore. <laughs> oh man, this. Now the one, the one henchman I gotta say that I that just kind of annoyed me a little bit is Whisper. He annoys you a lot. <laughs> that's the point, I think. Though. Should I think I... that's the point. You're supposed yeah. to be like, oh my god, this guy's on screen again. But yeah, he just—it's like I, I could have done without him. I liked the other hench. I liked, well, I liked Teehee and I liked Byron Samity. Uh, yeah, I like all. I like this whole crew. This whole crew to me is just. Who's, who's the, the, the taxi driver? Here he comes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's just hey Jimmy. <laughs> Shoot, for twenty bucks, I'll drive you to a Ku Klux Klan meeting. <laughs> like, God, that's just. I think it's hilarious. People are probably going to be offended by it. It's a hell of a lie. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't think he was presented in a in a uh, derogatory way. I just thought oh. he was he he was just a guy with a big smile on his face who liked being evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What's wrong with that? If you're going to be evil, be evil. Be evil with a smile. If you're going to be yeah. evil, well, Teehee's smiling all the time. Baron yeah. Semity's yeah, smiles all the time. Yeah, well, well Baron Semity's got the ah ah ah, and and uh, and T.E.'s got got that <laughs> laugh going. Yeah, that's oh, that's so cool. Yes, yes, they are. And then, then I, just to talk about special effects again, though, uh, when when Yafit Koto gets it <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with with the inflatable thing, my favorite steps ever. It's it's movies. it's another scene where it's just a fun special effect to watch, but it is so not believable. Which no. is probably yeah. probably works in its favor because if they showed that in a way where it was believable, it would probably gross. gross you out. I'd love it, but it would be gross. Back then, they would have given it an R rating. Yes, they probably would have if there was any sort of viscera going on. Yeah. Huh. Oh. Now let's not forget. The guy who also carried this film, Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Well, I gotta say, he might be my least favorite. <laughs> who give? Who is the the forebearer of Sheriff Buford T. Justice and Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane, all rolled into one? 
Yeah. I, I honestly think if there is an offensive stereotype in this movie, it's the sheriff. Probably. He's got the huge wad of dip in his mouth. He's calling everybody boy. Like, it's... What are you doing, boy? You picked the wrong parents to haul ass through. <laughs> yeah, it's a little goes a long, long way with him. But it even it shows you in the film how he he's all he's a little off his rocker. With, he's a he gets, yeah. He gets a radio call, you know, when his car is destroyed. Oh, Mrs. Jones has a rabid dog locked in a shed. She thought you'd like to come over and shoot it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just yeah, not not my favorite minor character in these movies. Now. Uh, Look on the bright side, he'll be back. And an interesting minor character, and an interesting in more than one way, I think, is Quarrel Jr. Yeah. Uh, because now, if unless I misunderstand, because I didn't read the books, but unless, I, if, I, if I understood it correctly, Quarrel, the character from uh, Doctor No, Doctor No, yeah. is in this book. Yes. And this book actually takes place before Doctor No. Yes. And he gets uh, he gets killed in Doctor No, but so since when they made this movie after Doctor No, they actually paid enough attention to continuity to say, well, we already killed off that character, so we'll make this one Quarrel Junior. Nice. Yeah, this uh, yeah the the book is is <clears throat> significantly different than this. Um, the book is uh, incredibly problematic. Let me just say that. Um, it's definitely one that you can skip. The the movie is far better. Now, but when he introduces Quarrel to to Rosie, I, I, I don't know. The, just the line always struck me as just odd. He's the man who shares my hairbrush. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Maybe it's a British. I know thing. what it means. When he gets to the hotel room and he checks in, he's talk. He's got a radio built into his hairbrush. Oh, okay. Thank you. You just cleared that up for all. Uh, it just hit me right now. Hey, inspiration can strike at any time. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it still seems weird to me. <laughs> yeah. And you might have killed me if you had the safety off. Yeah. Um, did she seem grossly incompetent to be? Well, that's why I knew she... The first, first time I watched this movie, I knew she wasn't on the up and up because of all that. So I, I generally don't get a kick out of characters that are shown as being that incompetent. Yeah, but I mean, it, that might have been part of the performance, though, to lull Bond into a sense of, all right, I got to take care of this girl. And 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 that would have been fine if when she did a double cross on him, all of a sudden she was very competent. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Then I think that would have worked better. Yeah. You know, she would have been doing the Clark Kent thing. You know, yeah. I, I'm going to pretend that I'm clumsy and can't do this stuff, but then I'm going to, you know, take off my glasses and I'm Superman. Right. So, now you said the best theme song. Like I said, for me, I would say it's probably tied for my favorite theme song of every Bond movie because Goldfinger is just so iconic for me that I, I have a tough time saying this is better. But... Well, this is this is great. This is the only James Bond theme song that I've seen performed in concert by the original artist. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I, I just—it's a banger of a song too. It's like this one—if it comes on, 
radio, you're going to leave it on. I mean, it's been covered to death. It's it's just a great song. And and I, I do agree with you that they integrated it into the score incredibly well. Uh, not only that, but I think Bond, not Bond, I think McCartney did a great job of making a rock and roll song that is not just a rock and roll version of the Bond theme. Right. But really does evoke that James Bond feeling. That whole dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I mean, it's just so on the money. Oh, yeah, it's definitely got a vibe to it. Like the, the Calypso version of it that they do when they're on the island. I mean, it's like, oh. Or, or yeah, even the, the, even the, uh, even the, 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 night, the nightclub yeah. version. It, yeah, that's great, too. And then uh, it's funny because on the Wikipedia page it says, you know, the theme song written by Paul and Linda McCartney. Yeah, I'm sure Linda had a lot to do with writing it. She might have. Who knows? Oh, please. all right it was all fall i would imagine but uh so you know but i mean there's a lot of exciting sequences in this one oh yeah the chases in this are great chases the alligators everything about it that's my favorite whole that's my favorite part of the whole movie the alligator stunt it's so goddamn ridiculous, but I buy it because it's James Bond. And yeah. and of of the of the more ridiculous stunts in the movie, I think it's the one that they pulled off the best. Even though it's silly, it almost feels like they're doing it right. I, I, yeah, oh, you can see the behind the scenes stuff for that. They, that guy did it. The stunt man did it. I don't think they're all um, real alligators, but some of them are. Yeah, he was he was in there with real alligators, even though. You know, I, I think you know they had it all wrangled under control, but uh, yeah, it's just a fun, fun scene. Uh, there's so many fun things in this one, and you know, it's the it's chase set- with the chase with the airplane around the run- yeah <laughs> runway. The same time tomorrow. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and even then, when Felix is having the conversation. With the guy, yeah, yes, yes, I, I, yes, I know you're a veteran, you're a good American. <laughs> okay, yeah, we should mention Felix Leiter because after Jack Lord, this is the best Felix Leiter we've had yeah. to date. Good, they brought him back. Yeah, a while from now, and we're gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fare quite as well. No. Uh, but he's gonna have his threes company moment. Yeah. Now you know what I noticed. Because I noticed these things. In all the car chases, particularly the one in New York, every single car on the road is either a Chevy or a Cadillac. Of course, it was New York in the 70s. And I think in Louisiana, it's the same thing. And of course, when you get to the credits, if you watch them, GM is a sponsor. There you go. Why wouldn't they be? It's a lot of good publicity for them. Look what our cars can do. You do notice such things. That is one of your things. <laughs> I depend on you to do that. It's the little things. It is. Very little. <laughs> That's what she said. All right. Well, before we get on to rate this one, any any other key points that we have that we've missed? Uh, There's a few interesting gadgets. The dot gun in the rear view side mirror. 
Yeah. It stills bonds drive the the watch with the mag- magnet. Yeah. Magnet and it turns into a saw at the end. Uh, with, the, with the live and let die bond theme playing. Yes, <laughs> we get extra points for that. Yep. The uh, booth that spins around and then the table. <laughs> to try. No, 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 I had a bad turn the last time. <laughs> yes, so good. Oh, now, now in- interestingly, this is a very rare no cue in yeah. this one. And apparently Desmond Llewellyn at the time was on a regular TV show, I believe a British TV show, not an oh. American one. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, they took a three-week break to allow him to be in the movie, and then he got written out of it and was pissed. Uh, I would be because too. because the producers wanted this one to be a little a little bit less gadget filled. I, which which I, I don't I don't mind when they're less gadget filled. It's fine. I mean, the stuff in it was none of it was too crazy. You know, most of those things were in the realm of possibility. To me, the gadgets. See, I, I can go both ways on that. I don't mind when they don't have a lot of gadgets as long as they have some cool stunts in it. On the other hand, I always got a kick out of the gadgets. So, so to me, and we'll eventually get to the point where the gadgets get very silly, uh, but even the more silly gadgets give me a certain smile yes. uh, because I just get a kick out of them. I just do. you know that, and, and somehow just you know that they picked out all the right gadgets to give him that are going to get him through this particular mission right. is just an amazing thing. But well, what did you guys feel about M making a house call at 5.40 in the morning? So odd. So odd, and I'm not sure, frankly, that we should ever see where Bond lives. Because no. that's some nice apartment he's got. It's a wow. nice apartment, but but it eliminates some of the mystery. Yes. And I don't know that I want to eliminate that. I, yeah, I, think I didn't I, want I, to see it in the Craig films either. Like, you know, it's just, he should, I, yeah, he should always be at a swanky hotel doing something. Yeah. <sighs> just so, the idea of him puttering around the kitchen making with, coffee with, with espresso his coffee maker, in 1972 yeah. when nobody had an espresso machine. Like, is that all uh, it does? <laughs> <laughs> now, doesn't Q does get a shout out, right? Because yes. Q fixed his watch. Yes. Is that Money Penny delivers that to him? Yes. Uh, yes. Or, or, is, or is, it, is it M? It's they're both together. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> I also just don't think it would be something M would do. It's like, you come to me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. So so that, I think I think that could have been done a little better just because, you know, it should have been that, it should have been that Bond was, it should have been, it should have nice. been that Bond was at the hotel room where the Italian model was. Hmm. That makes sense. But, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it it does seem like in during the Moore era, um, M and, and Bond have a, a far more cordial relationship than um, the Connery Bond does. It, you know, it's a little lighter for the most part. It's, you know, in, in the books and even in <clears throat> the movie Live and Let Die, there's an implication that M is, <clears throat> pardon me, M is a, of such value to the state that he has 
a very protected, you know, system. Like he re- remarks in You Only Live Twice, Tanaka has that underground railway system to get around for safety. Mm-hmm. And, and M has something similar. So I yeah, yeah, he does see, remark that. I don't see M strolling around in the middle of the night, you know, pulling up in a Buick to... No. Yeah, Bond. and honestly, I don't. I don't see Bond living in an apartment. No, why? I, I, in my mind, Bond never lives anywhere long enough to to set down roots. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of, in my mind, he's kind of like going from hotel room to hotel room his entire life. And woman to woman. Yeah, that's that's the way it should be. <laughs> which is why, do. which is why I feel like we should never see Bond's home. We shouldn't, we yeah. shouldn't, you know, you, you can imagine where he might live, but you should never see it. Right. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. So, but that's, yeah, I mean, we, these, these shortcomings that we're hitting are really not break, you know, deal breakers, though. No, it's trivia. But again, it was something different. Show Bond's house. We haven't done that before. You know, they were just, they were trying to change it up. So that it had a fresh feel, and it certainly does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, I think we've hit the point where we say where it ranks. Is it yours? Who wants to take this one first? I'll go first. Okay. Now, as I said, when I was a kid and I saw this at a young age, this I was not a fan of this. Having watched it again as an adult, I think it changes enough from the way Sean Connery did things. Whereas I did not like George Lazenby, I liked the way Roger Moore took over. He changed it enough to make it, you know, the part his own, but he was still to me James Bond. I liked the plot. I feel it's finally, you know, a bit of a change from what we've had up to... While I liked movies up until now, this was enough of a change to make it different. I get a kick out of all the chases, because I I like car chases and wrecking things and stuff like that, because I'm still a child. Uh, (laughs) James Seymour is a beautiful Bond girl. She has poise. I really like this movie. So for those reasons, I give it a very low Jaws 1. It is Jaws. All right. I'm not going to be breaking the mold here or anything, but uh, this one is high up on my list too. I, I, I can't say anything more than what Dave has already so eloquently said about this film. Uh in that regard, it is a very high Jaws 2 or a very low Jaws 1. So it's it's right there, six and one half dozen of the other. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement. I, I, I think I'm going to land on a very high Jaws 2, but I, I think there's enough enough minor quibbles with it to keep it from being at that ultra-high level of Jaws. Hmm. Uh, but I'm going to say a very high Jaws 2. It's very rewatchable. It's quotable. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just out and out fun, and it's James Bond. Yeah. So you yeah. you put all that together, it's it's hard to get lower than a Joyce. <laughs> I agree. 
All right, so that's it for Live and Let Die. But James Bond will be back in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes! Man with Strange Memories. <laughs> Superfluous Papala. <laughs> third nipple, sir. So we will discuss that one further the next time that the three of us get together. Well, that and J.W. Pepper, too. Oh, Thanks for boy. coming on with me again, guys. Oh, anytime. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Relax, baby. Mr. Big's going to take care of you in a minute. Black Queen on the Red King, Miss... Solitaire. My name's Bond. James Bond. I know who you are, what you are, and why you have come. You have made a mistake. You will not succeed. Rather a sweeping statement, considering we've never met. The cards have followed you for me. Now you get ripped off in Detroit, baby. You yell out for me. You hear? Is he armed? Can't be too careful in New York City these days. Funny how the least little thing amuses him. Fascinating. Well, that's you quite obviously, an amazing resemblance. Tommy, am I in there as well? Pick a card. Hand it over. You have found yourself. Oh, I'm telling you, don't go out there to L.A. and clean it up. Or I'm coming out there and clean you up, and I mean that. Is this the stupid mother that tailed you uptown? There seems to be some mistake. My name is... James is for tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him, now! Waste him? Is that a good thing? The meeting is over. Nothing about my future? Us? Now, I promise you'll stay right there. I, I shan't be long. <laughs> <laughs>